0: Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the tiny DevOps podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Hall. And on this show, we like to solve big problems with small teams. The guest I had planned for this week fell through at the last minute uh, due to COVID and some travel restrictions. I'll have her back on in a few weeks, uh, but that meant I had an episode to fill this week. So I decided to dig back through my archives and I found an episode or I found a a presentation I did at PyCon Australia last year. I thought that might be an interesting episode. It's about how I got started in my career doing software delivery and eventually DevOps. So it really kind of fills some background uh, into how I uh, got involved in this uh, whole industry and this topic which eventually, of course, led to this very podcast. So, of course, the original presentation did include a slideshow, which you can't hear or you can't see if you're listening to the audio version only. If you're interested in seeing those slides, of course, you can look in the uh, show description. I'll have notes uh, there that will link to the YouTube version. So if you want to watch this episode, you're welcome to do that. Um, But it really shouldn't detract very much from the, the topic because it's really just a narrative. It's a story. So I hope you find it interesting. And uh, I hope to see you next time when I have another guest on. The title of my talk is The Butterfly Effect, uh, How a Single Bit Changed My Career. My agenda for this talk, of course, is to tell you the story of how I uh, sort of started my career in in software delivery. I want to encourage you on your own path in that regard, uh, to whatever extent you were involved in software delivery, which I expect most of you are, as you're probably uh, developers of some sort. And then maybe give you some pointers on how you can improve in some of these areas, if that's interesting for you. Of course, my name is Jonathan Hall, and I am the Tiny DevOps Guy. Uh, if you Google for that, you'll find me. Uh, I have a podcast by that name, and uh, I do DevOps consulting primarily for small companies. I'm, I'm a lifelong developer, uh, operations person. I now do coaching. I'm a Trekkie, a podcast host. I also dance salsa. I'm a father. Many Many other things I can say about myself, but you're not here to learn about that. I think most of you are more interested in the technical part of my career. So I started, I got into computers actually at the age of eight, uh, when I started programming on my dad's Commodore 64. Uh, And for many years, I just played around, made games in, in various silly little programs on the computer. And then in 2006 is when I got my first professional programming job. And the... The interview was interesting. The uh, The owner of this small company drew three boxes on a whiteboard and said, these boxes represent the three new servers we just bought. Uh, we would like to hire somebody, maybe you, to come in and build these servers out uh, to run our spam filtering software. And up until that point, their spam filtering software that they, that they had, had written in-house, uh, they would install it on an appliance, uh, meaning like a 1U server, along with the operating system, and they would ship that to the customer's office. And the customer would install this physical server next to their probably physical exchange server. And they had the idea of switching to a a cloud-based model, what we now call SaaS or software as a service. It was relatively new at that point. Uh, So that's what I was hired to do. I was hired to Take this existing spam filtering software and turn it into a SaaS that we could sell as a single installation rather than all of these countless installations we had physically installed around the world. The author of this uh, spam filtering software had just left for for another job. Uh, Up until that point, he had been the only software developer, technical support person, network engineer, all all of that uh, in one person. And so when he left, they decided to replace him with with two. They hired a a developer uh, to take over the day-to-day and then hired me. Uh, to, to help turn it into a sass. Jump ahead just a month and uh, after I had started, and it was Thanksgiving Day. And uh, for those of you who have not experienced Thanksgiving Day in the United States, let me just give a little bit of context here. Of course, Thanksgiving Day is a national holiday in the United States. So everybody, uh, practically everybody, was not working that day. Even restaurants closed down. Uh, o- it's almost impossible to buy a, a stick of gum in the United States on Thanksgiving Day Uh, because everything is closed but what you may also know is that the day after thanksgiving day is a big deal because that's known as black friday and that's when everybody rushes out to get the best deals they can on electronics and on vacuum cleaners and on whatever else stores might be trying to sell uh, for the holiday shopping season this particular black friday while the entire country was outside shopping malls fighting over tv sets uh, we had a half day of work uh, at, at the office and our our newest developer, not me, the other guy who who joined at the same time, was pushing his first change out to customers. What could possibly go wrong here, right? Nothing. So this is what our phone lines maybe normally look like. Soon they looked more like a Christmas tree. Every single customer, we had 150 plus appliances installed in the the wild. Every one of them stopped working. Our phone lines were jammed. And, And not just that day, this lasted into the next week. Everyone in the company, not just the people working on the spam filtering software, the sales representatives, the president of the company, the janitor, were taking phone calls from, from customers whose mail was not working. What happened? Well, our developer had made a small, a single bit mistake. He had failed to set the execute bit on a startup script. So this prevented, of course, uh, the mail from flowing, but it also prevented future updates from working. So he couldn't even create a patch and put it on the on the central server for the servers to download because the, all these appliances wouldn't wouldn't even start enough to download a new update. So we had to actually log in by SSH to every customer machine and do it shmod plus X on this particular script uh, for every customer. Now you might think, couldn't you script some of this? Well, we, we could, and we did to an extent, but many of these machines were behind firewalls uh, or they, the, the owners had changed the passwords or deleted SSH keys for security reasons. So in some cases, we actually had to call customers over the phone and walk them through the, the process. You know, if, if they weren't able to give us access to their through their network, then we would walk somebody through going into their server room, plugging a monitor into the physical machine, logging in with root on the co- console, and typing these commands to get things working again. It, it was quite an ordeal. It it took the better part of the, the following week to get everything fixed. Over the following months, uh, in the aftermath of this uh, this incident, we had some other problems as you might imagine you know problems come up all the time on software uh one that cu- jumps to mind is we had some reports that were taking 20 minutes or so to report to, to, to generate uh, from our database we were using mysql and uh the, the developer uh, the, the, the lead developer and I remember my, my job was mainly uh getting the SaaS ready his job was the core development so the core developer uh and i had a a disagreement on how to do this i suggested partitioning by date so that we could only query the dates we cared about and he said that would be too complicated and take too long well our, our mutual boss came to me uh in private and said jonathan you think you could get that partitioning working and uh I, I threw it together a prototype in a, in a few hours and it, it proved that it, it would be worth investing in um and so that, that upset the developer um that wasn't the only thing of course um, but he ended up leaving the company So I became the lead developer of the project. So I essentially set out on my own. Of course, we did uh, over time hire other people uh, to join the team. And I remained the team lead for for several years. And during this time, I was reading a lot. Of course, every hero's journey needs a guide and I had no shortage of guides. Um, My guides were people like uh, like Joel Spolsky, who uh, you may know is the co-founder of Stack Overflow. Uh, He he also had a blog, Uh, I guess he still does, it's called Joel on Software. He used to blog very frequently, now it's about once a year maybe. Uh, But I read his blog uh, front to back, uh, maybe more than once uh, during this time. Michael Feathers, uh, he's the author of the famous book, Working Effectively with Legacy Code. I would say more than any other book, this book has changed my career. It is an excellent book, especially if you're working with legacy code, and who isn't? Kent Back, uh, he's the author of Extreme Programming. He's also the so-called inventor of test-driven development, and uh, he's a very influential uh, person, one of the co-authors uh, of Agile Manifesto, uh, along with Bob Martin, another co-author uh, of the Agile Manifesto. Bob Martin wrote a number of books in the Clean Coding series, Clean Code, Clean Architecture. Uh, he has some great YouTube talks. All of these people and many, many others uh, were, were my guides during the the years that I spent on this project uh, to, to help me take this project to the next level. One of the lenses I have used uh, to sort of evaluate the project I was working on at the time uh, became the Joel test, which is a, a blog post that Joel Spolsky wrote on his Joel on Software blog. I think the post was written in 2000, so I read it six, seven years later. Uh, but he goes through 12, uh, steps and, and 12 questions you can ask about your project to decide the maturity or the the, the usefulness of your project. Many of the t- of the items on this list are timeless. Uh, they're still valid. Um, do you fix bugs before writing new code, for example? Uh, or have, or does your team get distracted with new things before they finish the old things the, the, and, and leave bugs that sit for months or years or forever? Can you make a build on a single step? Uh, th- this was kind of profound back then, at least. On the other hand, some of the items on his list are a little bit outdated. Do you use source control? I mean, that's still valid, uh, but I think practically everybody does. If you don't use source control, uh, I I would love to hear why. Uh, But it's at least assumed that you should be using source control. Uh, Do you make daily builds? Uh, Maybe not everybody does this, but it's another one of those things that the, the bar has been raised. Nowadays, we tend to talk about are you doing daily deployments, not daily build. But I felt like it's time for something new so this is why i have created the jonathan test which are my 12 steps for better software delivery it's a little bit different focus than joel's um but it also is a little bit more updated you know 20 years newer Uh, as i already mentioned i feel like everybody should be using source control that's kind of assumed Uh, if you're not get with the game now maybe you're not doing one uh build per day but uh it's it's not exciting if you are so let's raise the bar on that one um, there's a lot of new technology. It's easier to build things faster and more frequently than it was in 2000. Um, also, we have some new science. Not a lot. There's not a whole lot of science that's gone into the software development process, but we do have some. So we we do have some qualitative and quantitative data that we didn't in 2000 about what works and what doesn't. For example, we have we have evidence now that that code review is one of the um, sure things to reduce defect count, uh, reviewing to this code. That didn't. We didn't know that in 2000. Maybe people guessed, but now we have some hard science to to back some of that up. So here's my test number one. Do devs merge multiple times per day? Also known as continuous integration. Um, this is another thing that science has proven is uh, is beneficial uh, in, in the sense that companies that do continuous integration. Uh, outperform those in terms of delivery and revenue uh, versus those that do not. Is all code tested thoroughly before merging into mainline? Uh, When I I took on the the developer project, this was not assumed. Uh, Our main branch was broken frequently and a big part of the software release process was testing the main branch to make sure that it wasn't broken and fixing any bugs that had crept in in the the intervening months since the last release. Nowadays, with things like trunk-based development, we can assume that main is always ready to be released. Continuous deployment. This is your project built and deployed automatically after every merge to mainline. This was almost inconceivable in 2000 when the Joel test was written. Uh, In fact, it was in 2009 when the, the famous talk was done called 10 plus deploys per day uh and that's what kind of birthed the, the devops movement uh so nowadays you know back then we were talking about is, is it even possible to deploy that frequently now we we're pretty well con- confident that it is possible it's more a business question now should we i, I believe you should <laughs> is all code reviewed by another developer before merge uh like i said this is one of the things that that uh, the, the little science we have has demonstrated pretty conclusively, that code review is effective. Do you fix bugs before writing new code? This is one I borrowed straight from the Joel test. I believe that you should fix all bugs, uh, all significant bugs before writing code. Maybe if your alignment is off by two pixels, you don't care enough to ever fix it. But uh, if it's something that affects users, you should fix that before doing new work. Do you have a prioritized backlog of features and bugs? Uh, Now, uh, bugs should be at the top of that list in my view. Um, And then features should be ranked according to whatever criteria your project or product manager uh, has in in mind. Do you have a reasonably complete automated test suite? Now, I say reasonably complete. I don't say 100% or 95% because I think those percentages are, are almost worthless. They're so easy to game that you might as well not use those. What's more important is, do you have the confidence when your test suite runs that you haven't introduced a regression? Uh, If you don't have that confidence, you should improve it. You should improve your test suite. Don't focus on percentages, focus on confidence. Does everybody have quiet working conditions? Another one I borrowed from the Joel test. Uh, I think this is really important, uh, especially for knowledge work like we're doing in software development. You should be able to concentrate. Do you use the best tools money can buy? Another one I borrowed. Uh, If you need a better IDE, you should be able to get one. If your boss is not willing to pay for it, you might consider getting a new boss. Uh, get get the best IDE uh, for your job. Uh, get the best monitor, the best keyboard. Uh, nobody wants to fight with a mouse that doesn't work correctly when you're trying to code. Get the best tools you can buy, whether that's hardware, software, uh, the best trick ticket tracking system, the best meeting software, whatever you need to get your job done effectively. The money spent is it pales in comparison to the productivity lost. Developers are expensive people. Uh, Get the best tools you can buy and save your time. Do you do hallway usability testing? This is one that Joel talks about a lot in his blog. It's one I don't do well well enough, uh, but there's a lot you can gain just by having some random person walking down the hallway test your code. Uh, And I I don't mean like reading your your code, but like show them a prototype, show them the software. Look at this screen. What does it say to you? Just simple stuff like that. Just getting a second pair of eyes, somebody who hasn't been looking at that all day to look at your code or to, or to look at your, your product uh, can go a long ways. No handoffs. This one gets at the heart of the DevOps movement. Do developers control their workflow from start to finish without handoffs? It could be to QA, to operations or to any other team. If you have handoffs, you're not doing DevOps. DevOps, the whole idea of DevOps is to kill those silos. Can your developers work effectively from an airplane or anywhere else where there's no Wi-Fi connection? This doesn't necessarily mean that you should be able to build an entire working application and run it from your laptop, but you should be able to do a meaningful amount of work without an internet connection. And this is just, uh, in my view, it's just common sense, um, especially if you have developers who are going to conferences or uh, they have a long commute through on a, on a train or, or something like that. Uh, or they like to work from a cafe somewhere. It should be possible to work uh, when you're offline, and that's not just because Wi-Fi doesn't exist everywhere else. Sometimes GitHub goes down, or sometimes your production server goes down, or sometimes anything can happen that prevents your entire network uh, from being online and available. You should not cripple your developers in those instances. Let them keep working. So, with my 12-step test in mind, let's let's jump back to when I started uh, with Double Check. Uh, What did things look like back then? Do do contributors merge their changes into mainline multiple times per day? No, we were not doing this. We did have subversion. We were using version control, but there was no rule about continuous integration whatsoever. Code was not thoroughly tested. In fact, as I explained a minute ago, we just assumed that mainline was broken at all times until we were ready to do a a release, then we would test mainline. Our project was not built or deployed at all, uh, manually or otherwise, until we were ready to do a release. So we failed there. Is code reviewed by other developers? No. We had no code review policy in place. We did not fix bugs before writing new code. We fixed bugs when they became, quote, priority. Do you have a prioritized backlog of features? As I recall, when I started here, we did have a backlog, but it was a text file in Subversion that the developer had been keeping. Uh, So he would just, as requests came in, he would add an item to the to his text file and when he re- was done he would remove it and, th- and that's fine if it works um th- the problem of course is that there's no visibility to the rest of the company uh you know tech- customer support can't see that um it didn't matter for him because he was a solo operation he was technical support once you have more than two people uh, you probably want something a little more centralized than uh, a text file of course if it works it works do you have a reasonably complete automated test suite? Uh, no. We, we. I think there were some automated tests, but most of them didn't work correctly. Um, so it certainly wasn't being used, and it was not a reasonably complete test suite whatsoever. Does everyone have quiet condition, working conditions? Yes, uh, we did. Uh, we were a small office, uh, we, uh, but it was relatively quiet. So that, that one uh, is a win. Do you use the best tools money can buy? Honestly, I don't remember the answer on this one. Um, I'm assuming so. Uh, I, I don't remember any complaints about the tools we had at our disposal. Um, so I'm going to give them a pass. Hallway usability testing? No, we didn't really do that. Do developers control their work from start to finish without handoffs? Uh, I mean, in a sense, I suppose so, because uh, there was just one developer or, or two at, at, when, once I started. Um, but it certainly wasn't like a mindset that developers should be able to do all this. It, it, was, it was by accident, if anything. Can your developers work productively from an airplane? Uh, you know, I don't remember the details at uh, this time in 2006. Uh, probably not. Uh, I'm sure it was not intentional. If, if it was possible to do meaningful work from an airplane, it, wasn't, it was by accident. Final score, 2.5 out of 12. Eh, not so great. I stayed a double check for nine years i left in 2015 in september so almost exactly nine years uh, to the day later uh, is when i left uh, let's see how we scored uh, by the time i left all of these highlighted in green are things that had improved uh, almost everything improved the only things that did not were of course the ability to uh, deploy automatically after every merge we were not doing continuous deployment um, and we did not we still did not do usability testing that's one that i fail on frequently uh, i mean i've done it at times but it's not something that's ever become a habit for me and could we work productively from an airplane uh to some extent we we had gotten better about that but there were still parts of our software that just didn't work without a, a, a network in fact i remember writing a, a Perl module to allow us to do dns tests dns based tests without a, a network so we could cache DNS uh, services. So, so there was an effort being done there, but we hadn't reached uh, our goal. Final score nine point five. So we gained seven points over a nine-year period. Um, that, I guess that's something, right? Uh, keep in mind, I was I was uh, learning as I went here. Um, when I this was my first programming job, it lasted nine years. Uh, we had two or three other developers join, come and go over that, that time period. So not not bad. Let's jump ahead to 2020. Last year, uh, in January, I started with a small startup called Lana. They're based in Madrid, Spain. Uh, they do, uh, they're do they a fintech startup. When I started in January, um, only the CTO was able to do deployments. Uh, so developers were at his mercy to uh, when they wanted something deployed, they had to ask the CTO. And if he had time and agreed that it was uh, something that should be deployed or, and didn't have any external dependencies and so on, he would deploy it within a day or two, probably. Um, the, the only of of these 12 items that, that Lana had was quite working conditions. And that was mainly because it was mostly a remote company. So most people work from their homes. Final score one, when I started in January, less than 12 months later, December, when my contract ended, these are are the the changes I had been able to implement. Um, of course I didn't do it alone, uh, but I was a driving force behind most of this. You see, it's a it's a big change. Um, al- almost everything. the the only things that weren't uh weren't done were completely automated test suites. We we're still doing a fair amount of manual testing. Um, and you know, you, you never completely get rid of manual testing. But we were doing more than we would have wanted. We did not uh have the best tools money could buy. Um, I had some developers ask for an IDE, and they were re- they were denied. Uh, I, I disagreed with that, but I didn't control the budget, so I didn't get to make that call. We still didn't do much hallway usability testing. And we didn't have a no handoffs culture yet. So we were still only partway through the DevOps uh, sort of mindset transition uh, in the sense that we did have a manual QA and some of the developers were were handing things off to our manual QA to do work, uh, to do testing before deployment. But it's still pretty good progress, uh, I I would say. Um, Final score of nine. After 12 months, a plus eight over over 12 months. That's that's pretty uh, pretty encouraging uh, in my view. I would like to invite you to join me on this uh, goal to improving your Jonathan test score. Uh, you don't have to use my test; use whatever test you want. Uh, but the, the the idea is, uh, can you improve on these important areas? If you want to see the Jonathan test, you can go to this URL: jhall.io/slash/test score for yourself. Um, I'd also like to invite you to my free 10-day email uh, course uh, called the lean cd Bootcamp. Um, it's it's really designed for teams that aren't doing continuous deployment yet so if you're not doing continuous deployment this breaks it down into 10 simple steps that you can apply and and spoiler alert you don't have to do automated testing before you're doing continuous deployment and that's kind of the point of the lean here get your get your continuous deployment in place first and then you can start to add the, the steps for automation later If this is interesting to you, I encourage you to go to leancdbootcamp.com. It's completely free. Sign up for the 10-day course. If you need any help with that, with any of the things I've talked about, I'm always happy to talk to you. You can go to my website. You can contact me uh, by email. Follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter at TinyDevOps.